Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the BM Cast. Not a podcast that holds a no limit open event with real actual money on the line and then a surprise when all the servers crash, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I am joined by the Leonin light scribe herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm a little tired, but can't complain. Um, halfway mm. through some scheduled time off because it's always good to take a little bit of time out. Um, yeah. And it's kind of nice to switch off from the content grind because it's been very busy recently. Um, with that, yeah. I haven't done a huge amount because the thing is with content, right? So you have to work ahead of schedule to take time off. So I've been really, really busy. So therefore, I haven't really played any magic. However, I did pick up some cards for my Peasant Cube with the Strixhaven release. So I have a peasant cube, if you haven't heard before, um, which is like commons and commons, that kind of thing. Um, so going in my cube, I've got Expressive Iteration, which I know you're a big fan of. Oh. I've got Bayou Groff, which is one that, you know, seems pretty sweet. And got Clever Lumomancer as well. Um, and going out, it's Izzet Cronarch, Stranger Root Geist, and Consul's Lieutenant. Um, I'm really excited to see how Iteration plays. I think it could be a little too good, but the card is just so sweet. Like It's so good. Done not to run it. Also, as a little birthday present to myself, I did pick up a box of Khans of Tarkir, like a sealed booster box oh. of Khans. Um, it's a very nostalgic set for me. It was the first set when I got into Magic, and it's been very hard to not open it and just crack packs. But I'm trying <laughs> to save it to do drafts with friends once everyone's vaccinated and I can see people and we can catch up, that kind of thing. Um, otherwise, sad. I've been playing Hades again on the Switch and finally completed a run with the bow, despite my disgruntlement. Only now? Yeah, wow. I hate the bow. But it's just, it kind of annoyed me because I've done, I've done a run with all the other weapons and it was like, I yeah. guess I should do the bow. Um, but I find the bow really slow and cumbersome and it's just not my play style. Um, but man managed to do it with the expect of Chiron and then, you know, I'm never going to touch the bow again. No, that'll be it. Um, okay. How about you? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm terrible, by the way, at starting things that I actively want to do like all the time. Um, but this week, I finally started watching My Hero Academia. It's something I've been meaning to watch for a long, long time. And when I say this week, I actually mean I started yesterday and I watched 25 episodes in one day. I stopped only to eat lunch and then play a game of Commander. <laughs> I, I hyperfixate, put it that way. Uh, it's a blast. It's, it's basically like a superhero school kind of show. Like, it's not any kind of like super original thing or anything. But the main character is just the nicest person. It has so many feel-good moments. It has so many good fight scenes and everything. It's just so cool. It's so, so cool. I definitely needed something like this. And I believe I can call something like watching this self-care, I believe. Yeah. I'm, I'm, this is a foreign concept to me. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm it's really bad at watching TV shows, so I can respect that. Yeah. My weekly article this time around is a sweet one. It's about identifying modal cards and their place in the commander format. So I talk about how I view cards, how some cards have secret modality to them, and I give an example or two of some underrated modal cards as well. So that's over on Card Kingdom. Pop on over there after the show for that. Outside of magic, though, this is something that might be interesting for you, Emma. I've been playing Dicey Dungeons. Have you heard of this? I've heard of it, but I haven't played it. Mm. It's got two words okay. that I like, dice and dungeons. So <laughs> yeah. please explain to me what it is. So I'm fashionably late to the party on this one, but mm -hmm. it's basically a sweet little roguelike dice-based deck builder kind of game. I know that's a lot of like buzzwords to just throw in one go, but it's the most accurate descriptor. Mm -hmm. Think Slay the Spire, but with D6s and way cuter graphics. That sounds and great. That's basically I mean. it. The soundtrack is done by Chipsel, who's an Irish chiptune artist, and 
they are fantastic. Like, I was already a fan of them. I had them on several Spotify playlists already. But I heard that they did the soundtrack for this. And I was like, well, I'm definitely going to have to try it now. And I'm very glad I did. They did a brilliant job on it. I highly recommend it. Especially if you like Slay the Spire. I so. really like Slay the Spire. So I'm going to have to check this out. Is it on Steam? I'm guessing. It is on Steam. Okay. Yes. I believe it's on Switch as well. Uh, also means I just have to get two copies of it if I enjoy it enough. Mm. Like I had with Slay the Spire. Three copies of that game. <laughs> Yeah. On various platforms. <laughs> but that's it for me this week. Um, have we got any housekeeping, actually, Emma? We do have a little bit of housekeeping this week. So we would like to say thank you to Alex Gibson, who is the latest patron of the Stonks tier. So thanks again, Alex, and appreciate all the benefits that we provide in the Stonks tier, which is show notes, and you get yeah. access to all our documents and stuff that we write up. So, like, for example, your big pauper write-up on the on a spreadsheet with all the pauper decks is, like in yeah. access for everyone now so over the next few weeks we will be looking to create a bmcast discord for everyone mm-hmm. with benefits for patrons as well so the exclusive channels and rooms and stuff like that so yeah keep an eye out for that over the next few weeks invites will go out and then hopefully we can grow on our little community yeah 100 percent if you enjoy the bmcast and would like to support them You can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show. And their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. All right, so we have a lot to get into this week. So I'm only going to take a minute or so to talk about my card of the week. It's my turn. And my card this week is Latnam's Legacy. So Latnam's Legacy is one and a blue for an instant that says shuffle a card from your hand into your library. If you do, draw two cards at the beginning of the next turn's upkeep. So it's great for tucking away a card that you'd rather have in your deck, like a polymorph target or a combo piece or whatever. And you draw two cards. You know, it's very, very good. It's very efficient at what it does. And it plays way, way better than it looks. You know, you're spending a card for Latinam's Legacy and then you're getting rid of a card and you're replacing those two cards with two cards. So it's technically not card advantage, but the velocity you get from it is incredible. It's very powerful. Highly recommend it. It's 15 cents. Like, come on. But that was my card of the week. What we're going to do is we're going to move on to the first main point, and that is we got some previews this week. Yeah, we did. (laughs) It's never not preview season. The first rule of preview season, though, is always preview season. (laughs) It never Mm -hmm. stops. Yeah, rule two of preview season. It's always preview season. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we got some previews for both Modern Horizons 2 and Dungeons & Dragons Adventure in the Forgotten Realms, which is a replacement for the core set this year. So this was announced on Weekly MTG on, I believe it was Thursday. It's still the pandemic, so I've lost track of days. Yeah, it was Thursday. (laughs) And the Modern Horizons 2 previews start in full on the 24th of May, and it'll release on June 18th. Things have been pushed back a week or so due to the pandemic and all sorts of stuff. But that's the dates for now. And the Dungeons & Dragons Adventure in the Forgotten Realms are going to release on July 23rd. We'll get more information on that closer to the time. But... There were some cards that were spoiled from both sets, and, well, let's just say that there's some interesting things, so... Modern's going to change quite a lot. Mm, yeah. If, yeah. If these are the ones they're leading with, 
yeah, we're gonna we're gonna see quite a lot of change. Yeah, because what's he kind of just subtly put in an article? It's like, yeah, MH two is gonna be that more powerful than MH one, which has made people a little anxious because MH one did a lot of bad things to the format. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about Hogak or Alcon's Astrolabe or anything like that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But the cards they have previewed so far is gonna shake up modern in a big way. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So first of all, before we talk about the proper previews as they promised the enemy color fetches are back they're available in like multiple different borders the old borders the full art borders the normal set border time spiral border i don't know there's so many of them now like it's kind of i think it's kind of a good thing because it kind of means there's more of them in a weird way there's more of it but whether they'll Mm -hmm. be cheap is another thing because they're fetch fans so we'll have to see yeah well on the plus side they are rare they're yes. not mythic. Watsy didn't incite riots, so that's something. Makes a um, change. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that aside, essentially what we're going to see in Modern Horizons 2 is a bunch of new cards. But we're also going to see some cards being moved from outside of Modern's card pool to inside Modern's card pool. And the first one, which is one that people have been debating whether it's safe or not for a very, very long time. And I think it is absolutely the right time for this if not it's a little late but counter spell is coming to modern blue blue instant counter target spell yeah, yeah. i'm fine with this i'm very fine with this considering what see we're putting counter spell into modern since dominaria's release like they've been dragging their heels mm. on this a little bit because it's obvious that they kind of care about the format and didn't want to be too premature but, but the yeah. fact they've been they thought about this in Dominaria they thought about this in MH1 they've gone nope MH2 is the time where we get counter spell and I mm. think it's going to be fine it's going to yeah. it's it kind of retires Manor League unfortunately but I think it's overall it's going to be a good thing yeah I think so absolutely like it's going to bolster more controlling decks which some people aren't going to be happy about but you know what they deserve some nice toys here and there as well you know as much as i don't like to say it but it's true but counterspell's fine like counterspell is like to blue as path is to white or bolt is to red like they actually have been kind of out of balance for a little while in terms Mm -hmm. of that and also it feels very weird that one of magic's more popular formats didn't have one of magic's most iconic cards that isn't busted that always felt weird to me but that's good and i've noticed a lot of people have been in two camps with this and that is i don't think it's going to have much of an effect on modern or it's absolutely busted um I think it's like somewhere closer to the it's busted, but it's definitely not busted. Mm. It's very, very strong and it's a very good addition, especially given whatever else we're going to get from this set. But it won't invalidate all counterspells, first of all. All other counterspells, that's that's not true. Mana Leak, yes, for the most part. Like you'll have like four color control decks or five color control decks yeah. that might consider running a Mana Leak here and there that wouldn't look at counterspell because of the double blue. So there are fringe cases, but... Stock in Spell Pierce, Mystical Dispute, and Spell Snare will all go up dramatically. They all deal with Counterspell extremely well for one mana. They are the kind of cards that if you're looking to fight Counterspell, that's a pretty good way to do it. Um, that Or just simply Duress or Thoughtseize kind of thing as yeah, well. Yeah, like Discard Spell still still quite good, aren't they? Also, Remand yeah. will still be good because, you know, Tempo decks don't want to play a double blue card or Counterspell. So, and, you know, yep. it gets that card draw, which is very important to those kind of strategies. But yeah, I, I'm interested to see where Counterspell lies. I think it's the right time for it. Um, yep. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. So, yeah. For sure. 
So one I'm I'm slightly excited about. I know you're not excited about this one. Oh. Uh, looking on the video now on this call, Scott is not very pleased. And that's Sanctum Prelate. Originally mm-hmm. printed in Conspiracy Take the Crown. Sanctum Prelate is a three mana two two, so for one generic and two white, you get a human cleric, which is important typing. As Sanctum Prelate enters the battlefield, choose a number. Non-creature spells with the mana value equal to the chosen number cannot be cast. Um, it, this is also the Biobox promo, by the way, I mm-hmm. believe, uh, for Modern Horizons 2. Um, so yeah, this is going to be really, really good in Death and Taxes and Modern Humans, which is your favourite deck. Yeah. Um, it's just <laughs> it's just such a great versatile answer. Um, it just adds to that disruption, which Humans is already jam-packed with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, <laughs> sorry, I just saw the notes where it says Scott hates this. <laughs> I didn't even see. That. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like I'm, I'm gonna pick up a couple of these for death and taxes in modern. Whether it goes in the deck is another thing because we are oversubscribed for f- free drop slots because you've got elite spellbinder, you've got Arkham of Emeria, Falia is one that the free mana one's still quite good, mm-hmm. and then you've got Sanctum Prelate, and then you obviously want your Flicker Wisps because that's a key part of the strategy. So like. Finding the room for all this stuff is going to be difficult, but it's just nice to have an option against non-creature decks. Yeah. When you talk about the three drops for death and taxes, I look at them in the same way that like Jund or Green Black Rock looks at removal, Mm. is that you kind of need a bit of everything. You just need to get the numbers right. Mm. And if you get the numbers right, you'll do really well. You know, it might just be one Sanctum Prelate main board. It might be three. We don't know. Like when Assassin's Trophy first came in, it was like, well, don't run the playset, but maybe don't run none, but somewhere in the middle. Yeah, it turned I out can, like two or something was about right. I can definitely see myself running like a one-off in the main board, for example. But yeah, it's a powerful yeah. card. It's going to host some non-creature decks and it's a human. So human just gets a little better. It's more headache for human players because yeah. that's what they need, apparently. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Can I move on from this now? I really don't yes, like it. Yes. <laughs> All right. Next one up is Urza Saga. Not the set, but the card. And it's an enchantment land. And as the saga enters and after your draw step, add a lore counter. Sacrifice after the third lore counter, as all sagas work. Now, this is a land, so you play it. When you play it, it will gain its first lore counter that says Urza Saga gains tap, add colorless. That's a permanent effect. The second lore counter, which you'll get on turn two, Urza Saga gains pay two and tap it to create a zero zero colorless construct artifact creature token with this creature gets plus one plus one for each artifact you control. And then the third one, which you'll sacrifice this land after, it'll say, search your library for an artifact card with mana cost zero or one, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. So there's a number of things here. First of all, it's an enchantment land. That's going to be important for enchantress decks in multiple formats like Legacy, Commander, and so on. Uh, It's a land, so this is a tutor that's uncounterable. And there's a bunch of weird things with this. So I'm just going to focus on the third point here, the tutor part because it's very carefully worded. Some people looked at this and went, why does this say mana cost one or zero? Like that makes it sound weird. And it's because the difference between mana cost and mana value. So mana cost is the actual numbers and symbols in the top right of the card, right? Mana value is the total amount that they all amount to, right? So the reason it says mana cost zero or one means you can go get something that says zero in the corner or that says one in the corner. This, for example, can't get a walking ballista because walking ballista has a mana cost of XX, but the mana value is zero. That's why it's worded this way. So you can't break it as easily, at least. 
Um, so other examples of like different mana value to mana cost is like Black Lotus has a mana value of zero and a cost of zero. They just happen to be the same. Lightning Bolt has a mana value of one and a mana cost of red. And then Lotus Bloom has a mana value of zero, but doesn't have a mana cost. This is critical because it means you can't tutor it up with Urza Saga. So that's kind of interesting. This is a weird ass card. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it feels like it's very carefully worded, isn't it? To try and not mm. be busted. But initially, it looks quite good. Um, yeah. I'd be interested to see how like Amulet Titan break this because it's a land and it just feels like yeah. something you you could just jam an Amulet Titan because you can fetch it off mm -hmm. an Amulet as well. You can get your Amulet of Vigor because that has a mana value of one or mana yeah. cost of one in this case. And it's just great to make sure you can get that turn one Amulet of Vigor. And That's it's it. like easy in the mana base because Amulet Titan runs a ton of lands. They have a suite of utility lands so they can easily accommodate for this. And yep. there's probably room for it in artifact decks as well, because it gets all the low-cost sort of cantrips that you want. Yep, 100%. Even getting a Mishra's Bauble is good. It's a very weird card, but I am happy that you can't recur it off a Lurus. This is true. Yep. That's what I'm Absolutely. happy about, because it's a land, so you can't cast it, um, even though it's a saga. So that's kind of nice. And um, it feels like it's got a home in Legacy. Uh, I'd be interested to see w what it does in Legacy, because there's a lot of powerful old artifacts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There'd be a number of different homes for this that I... Probably just I'm not wrinkly-brained enough to think of right Same. now. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of wrinkly brains, the next one that we have <laughs> up here... What a segue. That's the best segue I've ever had. <laughs> Pete and the cast now. Yeah, and the cast. I've, I've reached my limit. Uh, the, the next one that I'm segueing so beautifully into and then ruined it by talking about segueing into it is Brainstone. So Brainstone is one generic mana for an artifact that reads pay two tap and sacrifice brainstone to draw three cards then put two cards from your hand on top of your library in any order so surprise surprise this is a not to brainstorm which is also to me a very important indication here that they do not plan on putting brainstorm in the format at all yeah and i also, think that is a good idea you can get brainstone off an Urza saga yes you can so, similarly, it will be good in artifact-based decks. If anyone thinks at all of putting this into, like, a fair deck, don't. Just mm. don't. Emery is, and the likes is, are going to love this, you know? So you can set up the top of your library to mill it over with casting an Emery. A Whir of Invention is another shuffle in addition to fetches and those kind of decks. And you can also use it to protect key cells from hand disruptions. The usual brainstorm stuff, except it's also a one-mana artifact. And generally mm -hmm. speaking, that's pretty good. It could be recurred with Lurus, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think it's going to be good. I don't think it's going to be ridiculously busted or anything. Like, this isn't Arkham's Astrolabe kind of territory, I don't no. think, because it's a total of three to do this. Um, but also, I feel like this is just important to point out as well. I know it's kind of off-topic here, but Brainstorm Lock doesn't exist, and that's a hot take. Sorry. Because, just hear me out on this one. I'm, I'm listening. If, you know when you draw three and you put two cards back on top, mm -hmm. and then if you can't fetch them away for whatever reason, they call that a Brainstorm Lock. Um, because you've you've set up your own bad draws then because you've mm. put bad cards back or whatever. Don't have bad cards in the deck, first of all, is the statement, yeah. right? And then second of all, second of all, if if Brainstorm, or in this case Brainstone, was any other cantrip, mm -hmm. those cards would still be on top. Mm -hmm. They would still be bad. Like an opt will only get rid of one and then draw another, mm -hmm. which means that you haven't even gotten as far down as Brainstorm did or would have. All I'm you know, hearing so, that you should just play expressive iteration instead. Well, I, I would certainly advocate for it, yes, absolutely. Not in an artifact deck, but 
No. In general? Yeah. Um, yeah. I will say Brainstone will probably replace like Wishing Well in the Emery kind of decks because that was kind Easily, of yeah. the yeah. the like artifact sort of you know, cantrip. And I think this is just better, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Interesting card. For sure. Yep. Absolutely is. And another interesting card um, is Diamond Lion. So <laughs> for two generic mana you get an artifact creature which is a cat and is a two two. You can tap and discard your hand. Sacrifice Diamond Lion, add free mana of any one colour, activate this only as an instant. This is a nod to Lion's Eye Diamond, which sees a lot of play mm-hmm. in Legacy. It feels incredibly well worded because, you know, it says instant, for example, mm-hmm. instead of just like, a, it's not a mana ability. And I feel like it could slot somewhere modern, unsure where, but it's just like, a, it could be a really powerful effect. Granted, it is slow because mm-hmm. you need a turn on the field for it to last, so it activates ability. Yeah, it's a really unique card. Interesting. Also, side yeah. note, Howard Lyon did the art for this, which I thought was a flavor win. That was, yeah. That I was like good. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I made a tweet about this during the week saying all of the reasons why I think it's bad. And then I added the caveat of, and yet some person is going to find a home for this and make me look like an absolute fool. Mm. Uh, that's how this feels, you know. It could be anywhere between Cabal Therapist and, oh God, we didn't realize Hogak was broken. That's how it feels for this set. It could be one of those two. Uh, loads of Commander decks are going to love this. Like, Felden of the Third Path and stuff, just put stuff into the bin, add mana in order to activate Felden immediately to reanimate, like, a Sandstone Oracle to go and, like, refill your hand and stuff. Like, that seems very good, you know. But yeah, yeah, there's going to be a lot of, like, niche homes for this, I think. Yeah, it's, it's powerful enough but not busted, if that makes sense. And, like, someone's well, going to break it in we'll modern and I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm just apparently dumb when it comes to deck building. Like, why did I even see this? But, yeah, it's an interesting card. It's one to look out for, yeah. I think. Yeah, for sure. Now, that is it for the Modern Horizons 2 previews that we've got. We're going to jump over and have a look at some of the D&D Adventure in the Forgotten Realms previews. Now, we didn't get as many super exciting ones from this. We're not going to cover all of them. We're just going to cover one or two top ones. But I'm very excited about this because I've been playing D&D for like 10 years, um, or at least close to 10 years. Wait, how old am I? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is when you realise you're actually old, you're like... <gasps> you know what, I feel like I'm just going to uh, not edit this part out. Yeah, and fine. just, you know, show the human side of myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I'm ageing. Uh, yeah, I've been playing D&D for a long time, and... I am looking forward to seeing a bunch of D&D flavored things in here. Like, I kind of like when some universes collide that are like pretty close together and D&D and Magic to me are very close in that kind of sort of vein. So let's jump in and have a look at, we're going to talk about three of the cards. The first one, Portable Hole. So Portable Hole is a single white mana for an artifact that reads when Portable Hole enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls with mana value two or less until Portable Hole leaves the battlefield. So this is really good. It's an uncommon as well. Yeah. Really, like, really good. I first saw this card and was like, two or less? Nah, not sure. And then realized it said non-land and I was like oh yeah. okay hold on <laughs> that hits like all the powerful sideboard hate cards in modern as well as like 40% Def- of the creatures hits Death Shadows hit Amulet of Vigors hits just 
like Snapcaster Mages, because Modern's just run so many mm-hmm. cheap creatures these days. It's just so good. Also, yep. Emery and Urza like this a lot, as does Lurus as well, because you can recur it with a Lurus. And it's just, yep. it's like close, like, this is a take. I'm happy to be wrong about this. This feels okay. like Path to Exile's levels of good for Modern. I can see it seeing a lot of play in Modern. Not to replace it, but alongside it. Even if yep. you're not an artifact deck, I think it's going to be a very good cycle card. It'll be your Path's copy 5 plus, I think. Just because, you know, yeah, it doesn't hit Primeval Titans or Bevel and Revers, and that's fine, but it does hit a lot of the lower curve stuff, which mm. are really powerful in the format. Side note, I'm also picking one up from my cube because this is a slam dunk. Yeah, it seems very good. The thing that sort of grabs me on it is that you can get it off of Karn the Great Creator, which I don't know how relevant that's going to be in what format, but I would be looking at, like, Pioneer probably like there's like the monogreen planeswalker lists that like a very light white splash is going to be like real easy to put in some really good removal you know i know glass casket's already there but this deals with non-land permanence as well so yeah it's probably worth looking into there i really like it, it also actually another thing it does it deals with renna six that's pretty important yeah yeah i really like this card um, i'm biased because it's got white in the mana cost but i just think generally mm-hmm. it's a very very good card um, yeah I can expect this to see play in Pioneer and Modern and Standard as well. Absolutely. Next one up, Emma, tell us about Tiamat. So, Tiamat has a lot of words. Not Strixhaven level of words, but it has a lot of words. So, Mm -hmm. it is a multicolour legendary creature. So, for two generic and one of each colour, so it's Mm -hmm. seven mana altogether, um, you get a legendary creature, which is a dragon god. Um, It's a 7-7 with flying. When it enters the battlefield, if you cast it, search your library for up to five dragon cards not named Tiamat that each have different names, reveal them, put them into your hand and then shuffle. This mm-hmm. feels like a big commander card for your dragon deck. So bye bye sign yes. of the air dragon. <laughs> you just play this instead. But yeah, this, this seems pretty fun because mm. dragons in commander are really, really popular. Anyway, it's one of the more popular tribes. And yeah, just having the ability just to search up dragons seems pretty good. Yeah. I kind of like the idea of using this as kind of like a sneak attack commander. So like, mm. you play this, you go and get five big dummy dragons, and then just sneak attack them all out. That sounds like an awful. It's great, often omniscient. Let's put it that way. Which you also play that too. Dragon yeah. 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 <laughs> Absolutely. There's not a whole lot to say here. This is just massive, splashy legendary that's gonna show up in commander because it's just cool. Yeah. And it's also kind really of it. flavorful as well. In, in terms mm-hmm. of D&D setting, it's very, very flavorful, which I kind of like as well. Yeah, it's very cool. And speaking of flavorful, the next one's pretty good as well. Yeah. Vorpal Sword. One black mana for an artifact equipment that reads, Equipped creature gets plus two, plus oh, and has death touch. And it has an activated ability of five black, black, black. So eight mana total. Until end of turn, Vorpal Sword gains whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game. And it has an equip cost of black, black. So it's an incredibly heavy black investment. It's good. Like, I think overall it's just good. Because one black mana is as cheap as you can get equipment without costing actually zero. Mm. The equip cost of two black, if you're black heavy anyway, it's fine. You know, that's what you'd be paying for an equip cost two anyway. You'd be just tapping two swamps. And plus two, plus O and death touch makes blocking and attacking very favorable for you generally. The thing that I'm noticing with this though, right, is that it would be a great as a commander win con because of that activated ability. 
and it's probably decent in aggro decks and like standard pioneer which is a very weird delta to have it's like it's yes. good in low to the ground aggro decks also it can be used to win the game in commander doesn't they don't normally occupy the same design space but when you're looking at cards like this if you're evaluating for commander you look at the entire card because anything can happen but if you're looking at the likes of standard and so on you have to basically pretend the lose the game line doesn't exist on it because it's almost never going to be relevant it may happen if you top deck, like, if say you're playing Monobac Argo in Pioneer mm-hmm. and you happen to top deck a Gutter Bones or something, because I believe they still play Gutter Bones, mm-hmm. and you just, like, have 10 mana for whatever reason, you're just like, yeah, that's <laughs> it, sort of thing. Like, it's like a last pitch sort of top deck. It may come <laughs> up, but most of the time, like, the plus, plus two, plus own Death Touch is a good rate anyway, yeah. um, just on its own. So, yeah, it's a powerful card. Yep. Interested to have a Rogue's Passage in my Commander deck for this, though, for their last ability. I, I've I've rogues passage in so many decks. Yeah. Even even if they shouldn't be, I'm just like, oh, you never know. Yeah. But yeah, so they were the cards from D and D Adventure in the Forgotten Realms that we've seen so far. There were a couple of others, not particularly impressive or impactful, but still neat. They were more flavorful than anything really. Now, we're gonna touch back on something that we got a question on in episode forty two. Feels like a million years ago. It was only two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> this was from Jeffrey David on Twitter, and they asked, is there a recent Mardu Young Pyromancer deck to be made with Leonin, Lightscribe, a bunch of Lavadarts, and other cheap spells, maybe Plum the Forbidden as well? And the answer to that is kind of, yes, sort of. Like, there's a number of different directions that you can take with this in a number of different ways. And we decided to look at it from a couple of different angles in terms of young pyromancer and that kind of thing also leon and Lightscribe, like you said with the lavadarts and stuff we also thought we would take a look at clever lumamancer and sedgemore witch because well clever lumamancer is definitely making waves already sedgemore witch still a little bit more on the fringe but is definitely showing up in places and yes so if you are a member of the patreon you will get access to five deck lists there's three that I made and two that I made, and we are going to just discuss a couple of different things within these decks. Now, let's start off with one of mine here that I'm kind of excited about. It's it's a lore hold blitz deck. Okay, so we've seen very similar kind of things to this already show up. So, you know, it's running stuff like Clever Lumomancer, Niv Megas Elemental, Kiln Fiend. It's very heavy in on the Niv Megasy kind of effect. Which has shown up from time to time. You know, you're trying to abuse a lot of free spells like Mutagenic Growth, Gutshot, Manamorphose, Mishra's Bobble, that sort of stuff. It's very interesting with Ground Rift, which people have been playing around with. One red mana for a sorcery target creature without flying can't block this turn and it has Storm. So, you know, you just cast a few silly spells and then, you know, make any blockers unable to block or whatever. Or just exile those to Niv Megas Elemental to make it huge. Attack in for lethal, that kind of thing. It's very all-in. It's very glass cannony. You're very much leaning on the free spells turning into direct damage. It's definitely best at the hands of like a skilled pilot or in an unsolved metagame where everyone's just doing whatever they feel like and you're like, you do your thing. I'm just going to kill you in the meantime. Yeah. It's definitely where people have been leaning so far. Like there have been five O's that are showing up very, very similar to this. And I can see it being good for a little while until things sort of calm down a little bit and then... Yeah. This will be targeted pretty hard, you know, like there are going to be chalice decks are going to pop back up and this basically just doesn't have any text on any of its cards anymore, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, it's a it's a high risk, high reward one, I think. The list that I've made is coming in at $225, 
which is on the lower end of the scale as far as cost goes in modern. Just on, on my decks here, I didn't focus too heavily on trying to make it as budget as possible, but rather as good as possible for the money. So the price to power output, you know, so like some of them are somewhere between two and three hundred dollars. So it's where the highest price to power output lies. But Emma, I believe you have like a cheaper alternative. Yep. Yeah, so I also have a law hold blitz deck. Mm. Um, it's coming in at about $130. Um, this one is running Lurus in the sideboard because mm-hmm. uh, it's free because everything's so cheap in the deck. Yeah, so you still run your clever Lumomancers and your Nidmagus Elementals and your Light Scribes. Very, very similar to yours. It can, it can be very, very quick. It can win in the first few turns, but it does have the ability to go long. Um, and it is affordable because you have so many commons and uncommons. It just It's a really good foundation for any sort of aggressive mm-hmm. deck if you're looking to play into modern. It can't completely lean on the four ground rifts just because of the creature count. So it is running a couple of gre- uh, grape shots and one haze of rage, which helps a lot as well. Ha- haze of rage is a nice out, um, just the fact it has buyback. So it just gives that deck the extra staying power. But mm. normally you just still, you still have your manamorphoses. You can still go off a load of spells. Um, but yeah, it's, this is the cheaper version. So if you're not sure if you want to play aggro, but you don't want to spend a lot of money, but you want to find out, this is a really good starting point and then you can upgrade it into the mana base because the mana base is very, very cheap because you've got mm. stuff like Battlefield Forges, we're not running Sacred Foundries. We've got like Needle Verge Pathways and Inspiring Advantages. But yeah. Yeah, that was nice. I think the next sort of step up is my next list. It's a $290. It's a Lorehold Spells, I'm calling it. It's technically prowess, but it has a slower, more mid-range kind of build. It's got a more even split between spells and creatures in order to help get better use from Leon and Lightscribe, which I didn't include in my first list in the Blitz list. It was just all in on the, the Blitz plan. I think Dreadhorde Arcanist is kind of the standout card in this one. So it's able to just get that long game value from that. Uh, it's still very fast, but it does have a better long game. As a result, it has bet room for better sideboard cards because you're more well set up for stopping opponents' game plans instead of protecting your own. So you have access to stuff like Cleansing Wildfire if you need it, or Rip Apart, or Kozilek's Return even works very, very well in this deck. Uh, rest in peace, because you don't really do any graveyard stuff bar maybe Lurus. The nice little interaction that I find here is how you can use Leon and Lightscribe to pump Dreadhorde Arcanist's power, and then when they attack, you can flash back something like a Lightning Helix, which is even better value for you, and that kind of thing. Or you can even cast two spells and then flash back a light up the stage. That kind of effect feels like it's very, very synergy-based, but can still, like, all of the individual cards just work very well by themselves, which I think is important. Um, one weird inclusion that people are probably going to look at and be like, why is that there? Uh, there's three Flame Slash. And I find Flame Slash is really good at the moment because if you come across, like say, like the Omnath decks or whatever, you can use it to kill the Omnaths. But most importantly, one card that is like lethal is Dryad of the Elysian Grove. You yeah. need to just be able to kill that on sight. Just kill it dead. It's a 2-4. It's, it's so awkward. I don't think people yeah. realise how those stat lines are so awkward when it comes to being aggressive in modern. It's just, yeah. I don't like it. 100%. Um, now, just to point out as well, one of the reasons why mine are a little bit more expensive is because I'm taking the hit and putting four Sacred Foundry in the mana base. The reason for that is because I, having played with Lavadart an awful lot, 
budget mana bases make lava dart significantly weaker because if you're leaning more on the likes of pathways or battlefield forge and that kind of thing they can't be sacrificed to flashback because they don't have the mountain type which is very unfortunate now they're still good don't get me wrong they're still good because you'll still have like you know six or seven mountains or whatever and that's fine but for me i'm used to having a high mountain count and i'm like i i, I feel almost anxious putting lava darts in if i don't have at least like you know 12 mountains or something so you don't need to have the sacred foundries if you have them just put them in they're great you know similarly like if you have a few fetches lying around just throw them in it's fine you know but i wouldn't say it's necessary i would just if you're looking to tweak the numbers a little bit i would consider going down to maybe like three lava darts or four and that kind of thing maybe add a good shot instead or something or whatever you feel like but yeah Yep, so next up, I did a Rakdos Pyromancer list, which includes mm. four Young Pyromancer and four Sagemore Witch. If you've listened to the cast over the last like two to three weeks, we're pretty high on Sagemore Witch. We think it's a great card. You should probably mm. pick them up because the prices are starting to spike because people are realising how good it is. Despite yep. it not seeing much play in Standard, thanks to Bonecrusher Giant, it's a very powerful card. It's starting to see a little bit of play in Modern and Pioneer. So my list is it's about $140, which is about right you know in terms of budget i think you can you can win some win some matches with this and it runs a bunch of cheap interactions so you have stuff like lightning bolt you have stuff like inquisition of kozalek fatal push you even got cling to dust in there which is a fantastic card which every yeah. black deck should just play mainboard i think that card's great um you also have a one-off plunder forbidden just to go alongside sagemore which you could probably run a couple more but just the mm -hmm. fact that the creature counts a little low you don't want it to be a dead draw in your hand um, you are also running four village rights as well, which is slightly better because the guaranteed yeah. drawing of two cards feels a little better. Mm. With that, if you happen to have stuff like Fort Caesars already, replace those with uh, Fatal Pushes and Cling to Dust just because Fort Caesars is really good in these kind of decks. Mm -hmm. The mana base is a little tough because I was quite aggressive on the budget. If you have Blood Crips, shove them in. Like, take out the basics, shove them in. Yeah. It is playable, but it can be a little slow. There is little discrepancies with the mana base just mm. because... Blood crits are very expensive at the moment, as are Bloodstained Myers, as are Sulfurous Springs as well, because that hasn't been reprinted yet. Um, but either way, yeah. this is a really good starting point um, if you were looking to play like a, a Pyromancer-esque deck. Because you don't want to go into white, because if you go into white, that extends the budget, because you need, you need stuff like Sacred Foundries or Marsh Flats or whatever. Um, you could probably get away with some Lingering Souls at some point, but I would just... Yeah. I'd rather upgrade it into red-black and then look at going into a third colour. Also, if yeah, you have yeah, Croaxes, yeah. they're also great in here if you can get hold of them. They're just Which is $30 at the yeah. moment. Like, yeah. what the hell? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I hate how expensive they're... these mythics are becoming. 100%. But yes, you also have a Pyro Sagemore Witch deck as well. Yes, I do indeed. This is, out of the three decks that I've put up here, it is one of the slower and grindier ones. It is not a Lurus deck, but it has Lurus in it because we wanted to include Sedgemore, which as well. This is significantly more disruptive. Uh, it's a little more expensive. This is coming in at about $300. It's much better against removal than the other decks as well. It kind of has a semi-aristocrats feel because of the likes of, you know, Plum the Forbidden and Village Rights and stuff like you were talking about as well. I sort of took a couple of ideas from other formats versions of this deck so in the likes of historic and pioneer you have the rakdos arcanist decks and they run like stitch a supplier to mill stuff over then dreadhorde arcanist to flashback those things for value and then young pyromancer to help flesh out the board a little bit they are pretty decent by themselves 
in here I've added in a couple of Plum the Forbidden and they work nicely like we said already with Sedgemore Witch also work with the tokens off Young Pyromancer and stuff uh, I have Unearth in here as a way to get back either Lurus or Sedgemore Witch as a yeah, one-off yeah. but then I also have two Claim to Fame to get back either the Pyromancers the Citrus Suppliers or the Dreadhorde Arcanists so it has that kind of sort of long game ability to get some stuff out of the bin you know um, I included Mishra's Baubles as a couple of copies because you don't have permanent access to Alaris, you just have to draw it. So, But they're fine, they're zero mana cantrips. And one Seal of Fire, just in case, because it's still fine by itself. Like, it's not the best in the world, but it's not terrible. But if you have Alaris, at least it's more recurrable value. It's more expensive because the mana base is like $150 by itself, mm. you know. But unfortunately, with Red Black, like you said already in Modern, currently, you kind of just got to bite the bullet like the budget mana bases for red black in modern are just atrocious you know that's where the majority of your money's gonna go any of the non-white based pairings tend to be quite expensive at the moment which is unfortunate because <laughs> white doesn't yeah. see a huge role in modern so you just have to take the bullet unfortunately yeah so that's it so jeffrey david if you're listening these were decks that were inspired by your question that we decided to take a look i know you were talking a little bit more about the Young Pyromancer side of things, but we decided to give you a little range of stuff here. So there we go. If anyone else has any sort of insightful or or thought-provoking sort of theory crafting questions or anything like that, where we can flesh out some some deck lists or some ideas, absolutely let us know over on Twitter uh, or email us at budgetmagicast.gmail.com as well. But before we sign off, Emma, have we got any Q&A? Do you have some Q&A this week? So we have our weekly tweet from EV the Mage 97 and they drop us a tweet to say, Head Games is a $3 card in EDH that does a ton of work and can be used politically to help or take down opponents. You might be mm-hmm. interested in this because you do like playing the Silver Quill political deck. Mm-hmm. So for those that don't know what Head Games is, like me before I just read it, um, <laughs> it is a five mana sorcery, uh, so three generic and double black. Target opponent puts the cards from his or her hand on top of his or her's library Search that player's library for that many cards. The player put those cards into his, into his or her hand and then you shuffle the library. So basically you get to decide what they have in their hand. Which mm-hmm. seems pretty sweet. Um, it's from 10th edition. It's a rare. Um, and it's like $3. And that, that seems kind of fun. Like you can probably like mess some people's turns with that, right? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Like you could just give them all lands if you want. Yeah. Like you could be not? a massive idiot. And just, like, <laughs> yeah, nice hand break. Um, Evie Gamage also asks... Um, other than that, what cards are you both most excited to see come from Modern Horizons 2? I, I'm i going to be excited if I don't see certain cards more than if I see specific cards. As long as there isn't a Hogak and an Uro melded together and it's a card in MH2, I'll be happy. As long as I don't get to see anything like that, I will be happy, I think. But we'll see. <laughs> To be honest, I don't really mind if they print big, scary, dangerous threats that screw up Modern for a month or two because they'll eventually end up getting banned. My main concern is when they introduce things like if they were to print Force of Will into the format now, they're not going to ban a counterspell. That's going to be there forever. And you're looking at a format where Force of Will and Force of Negation are going to be both legal if it's there. Mm. And if it's not there, I'm going to be excited because it means that they are making it a fair playing field for other strategies, you know, because Force of Will is specifically in Legacy to deal with unfair strategies. It's boarded out in the fair matchups, you know, Mm. because it's card disadvantage. 
but it's not necessary at all in modern and it will it will put a chokehold on any kind of combo decks or spell based decks if you were to introduce it here so i'm more excited for not seeing cards like that rather than i am to see specific cards put in but if i had to choose rather than something like force of will i would love to see something like memory lapse come into modern because i love it i put it into like any blue deck that i could fit it into like when it comes to making a commander deck three Mm. counter spells definitely make the cut every single time and that is one negate one arcane denial and one memory lapse they always go in yeah i'm similar to you like i don't want to see particular silly cars come into modern so one i really don't want to see is him to turok oh god i would hate to see that in modern because just imagine how obnoxious that would be but on a side note, I'm more excited to see like really cool uncommons like mm. introduced into modern. So Unearth was one of my favourite cards to come from MH1. Yeah. So I think that's the perfect example of the kind of card that you want in modern. So with that, something like Fire and Ice, maybe, that might be a really cool one. Just sort of, you know, these old sort of split cards back from way back when might be quite cool. That's you why make I me like feel it. feelings with Fire and Ice. You're making me feel feelings. <laughs> If 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 Delver became playable, like that's all I would play from now on. See, that's the thing. Delver's never playable, so I don't know why we're having this conversation. Because it could become playable. It could become. So you're playable. telling me there's a chance? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, carrying on with the Q and A, we went on a little tangent yes. there. Jeffrey David also dropped in a question saying, "Portable hole, best removal in white in how many years?" I already had my hot take on this. I was thinking about this, mm. and. I think it's the best removal spell since Winds of Abandon in Modern Horizons 1. Good shout. That is a very good shout. Yeah. I forgot that card existed and I run it in Death and Taxes. <laughs> I run it in Commander and like not enough people run it in Commander because, oh my God, it's a huge blowout yeah. for other people. Declaration in Stone's another good one, but it's not modern. Pl- it doesn't see play in modern. <laughs> I was going to say define good one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's acceptable. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm really excited for Portable Hole. I think it's going to see a lot of play. And yeah. It's got a lot going for it. And for sure. lastly, we have a question from Pauper underscore B. How do you brew Tron in Pauper without making just a worse version of what we already have? I know you're a big fan of Tron in Pauper. So, so funny joke, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, see, you can interpret this in one of two ways. You can either interpret as, like, how do you make a better version of what we already have? And the answer is, I don't know. I'm not good enough for that. But (laughs) uh, the other way that you can interpret this is how do you make a Tron deck that doesn't just eventually get incremental improvements and then eventually just end up like the Tron decks that we have at the moment? And I'm going to go with that because I think that's the the spirit of the question. Mm. I think if you're going to be brewing tron in pauper you just have to accept first of all the fact that it's just not going to be as good as the way tron is currently um it it's weirdly kind of sort of in check at the moment because of the way that the metagame is sort of lying and that's kind of interesting to me Mm. but it's still not a safe thing to keep in the format so that aside I think if I was to go for it, I would look at some sort of like artifact build. Now, there's nothing currently in Popper that will help to enable that, but I would certainly be keeping an eye on cards from, say, like Commander Legends or the upcoming Modern Horizons and that kind of thing to try and find things in there that would normally be a little too expensive for the format, 
Mm. But Tron might help to mitigate that. You just have to be aware that you're either including Tron incidentally, like the way Monoblutron does in Modern, where it'll just eventually get Tron and use that to win the game, or you're digging to get Tron and you're using that to proactively end the game. So once you have that down and you decide which way you're going to go, or if you have an idea, you have to decide which one of those two ways is going to be best for it. And generally speaking, in Pauper, you want to be in the incidentally getting Tron camp because you need to interact with your opponent or you'll probably just die. You know, so, yeah. it Like, you'll either die from stuff that's super, super fast, like Monogreen Stompy or Burn, or you will uh, die to the overwhelming snowball and card advantage that your opponents have gained by playing literally yeah, any other deck. Yeah. So... I would look towards doing some sort of weird artifact thing. I know this was a bit tangential, but <laughs> yeah, some sort of weird artifact thing, I suppose. But I, there's nothing that really stands out. Like I have a list of cards, like I said before, Brewer's Notebook. Uh, I have a list of cards that I want to do build arounds with in Pauper. And because they all seem good and interesting, but there just aren't enough pieces yet. It feels like the pool is incomplete in Pauper. Always has felt that way. And... Yeah, I think we're just a couple of Modern Horizon sets away from Popper being an actual format with a with a fully coagulated kind of card pool, if that makes sense. So currently, I to answer your question in a very roundabout way, uh, <laughs> currently can't really brew Tron without just making it a worse version of what we already have. Yeah, but Tron's pretty solved, isn't it, at this point? You know, yeah. Why would you do anything else when you can just flicker Stonehold Dignitaries? Um, the best way to not make Tron any better is, I guess, just not play Tron and play something else. Yeah. <laughs> would be my answer. Mm-hmm. And I would prefer if people didn't play Tron, because it means I can actually win some games with Bogles without getting flickered with a Stonehold <laughs> Dignitary to death. But that's a little mm. bias in there. Thank you for listening to us here at the BMcast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Alejandro, Kilgore Trout 503, Max Makes Magic, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Nicholas Martin, Bradley Rose, Ian Holland, and Christopher McCarthy. And at the Songs tier, we have Anga Orr, Scott Preach, Simon Grip, Brian Mann, A Nice Planeswalker, Nerblin, Everett Brogan, Tom Telford and Alex Gibson. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.